Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 28. We have made it to the final chapter of Acts. This is our 78th sermon on the book. We have two more in this chapter, so we should, Lord willing, finish 28 chapters in 80 sermons. Acts 28, and we will start at verse 1. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, and they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Uh, Now in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary." After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. Landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. After one day, the south wind blew, and the next day, we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so, we came to Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to understand your word. Free us from distraction, we pray. Help us to be able to focus our minds on what the Spirit says to the churches. We thank you for the Maltese hospitality and the Roman hospitality that we read of in these verses. We pray that our church might be a place where people can thank God and take courage. Help us to love one another because we love you. Help us to listen to your word because we love you. We pray these things, Father, in the glorious name of your risen Son, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, we've spoken of how the final ten chapters of Acts are a Genesis-style narrative of promise and fulfillment, that in chapter 19, Paul says, I must go to Rome. Then he hears God's promise, you will go to Rome. But thing after thing pops up to try to stop him from getting to Rome. There's threat after threat after threat to God's promise, and the narrative is essentially the story of how all these threats are neutralized, circumvented, overcome, or plowed straight through, and on the far side, 
God's promise prevails. Now, that's no exception. We're almost there. We're on the doorstep of Italy. We're here in Malta. They crash landed on Malta. The ship broke up. They all swam into land. And Luke tells us what happened next while they were on Malta. Now, he doesn't say anything about Paul preaching. He says nothing about anyone being converted. Uh, one commentator went so far as to say that this first part of chapter 28 is a great example of how Jews, uh, of how Christians and non-Christians can work together for the common good. Now, that commentator does not know how to read Luke. Luke doesn't have to mention that Paul preached or that people were converted because Luke tells us very clearly that the Maltese showed hospitality, something people do after they've been converted consistently through Luke's two books. And also that the Maltese ruled over money, something, again, people do after they've been converted, not before. So we'll talk about that, the welcome in Malta, and then we will talk about the welcome in Italy. The Maltese and Romans alike show great love and hospitality to Christ in the person of Paul, his chosen vessel. The Maltese and Romans alike show love to Christ by showing love to Paul. That's what we'll see tonight. The key verse for the first two verses, really, is the natives showed us unusual kindness. Our key verse is to go back to Luke's gospel and hear what Jesus said. The one who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Matthew's version is even clearer. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Matthew 10, 40. Paul comes to Malta and is received. It's not the same Greek word uh, used in, here in verse 2 as it is there in Matthew 10, but it's clearly the same concept. The one who receives you receives me. Luke doesn't have to tell us the Maltese believed in Jesus because he shows he tells us the Maltese received Paul. And Jesus said, the one who receives you receives me. So Paul comes to Malta and he is welcomed by the Maltese. And I think there's evidence to say that this is not just philanthropy. It starts with philanthropy in verse 2. They're philanthropic people who welcome strangers, but it goes beyond that. Well, Luke tells us that the island is Malta and that it was raining and cold. If we back up for a minute, what is, where is Malta? Malta is in the Mediterranean south of Sicily, kind of between Sicily and Africa. You can probably find it on one of your maps if you're interested in the back of your Bible. It will show you where Paul landed. Anyway, it's raining and cold, Luke says. Now, Luke is a Mediterranean person. The average November low in Malta today is 63 degrees. That's the low in November, 63 now, it can get colder than that, of course, but it doesn't usually get much colder than that. Nonetheless, even if it's 60 degrees, if it's pouring rain and windy, it's not a pleasant night to sit outside. And that, perhaps, is what the Maltese were thinking. They kindled a fire and made everybody welcome. Maybe it was one giant fire that 276 people could sit around. Maybe it was lots of small fires. Luke doesn't tell us for sure. But they welcomed them 
Malta is a small island, tiny by the standards of Campbell County. Malta is about 18 by 8 miles in size. So 18 by 8 miles, right? around 200, 150 square miles, something like that. Pretty, pretty small compared to our county, which is 4,500 square miles. And today, 500,000 people squeeze onto that rock. I doubt there were that many people there in Paul's day. Well, Malta had been a Carthaginian colony that spoke a Punic African language. The Romans had conquered it, of course, and it was administered as part of the province of Sicily in the days of Paul. The Roman governor, or first man of the island, has a Latin name, Publius. He's probably a Roman. But the natives most likely did not speak very much Greek or Latin. They mostly spoke their Carthaginian dialect. So Luke calls them barbarians, that is, non-Greek speakers. Most translations render it natives. The natives showed us unusual kindness because the overtones of barbarian in English don't really fit with these kind people who kindled a fire and welcomed 300 shipwrecked men onto their island. So Maltese philanthropy received Christ's apostle. Luke makes that clear. The natives showed us unusual philanthropy, he says. This is not the kind of philanthropy you encounter every day. But already the Maltese were kind and loving individuals. So what happens next? Paul gathers this bundle of sticks and throws it on the fire. So if the key verse in the previous two verses was He who receives you receives me. The key verse here is Galatians 1. God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Christ is revealed in Paul in this victory over the serpent. And the Maltese sense that after a fashion, though Luke, of course, is not above letting us laugh at their naivete. Well, Paul gathers a bundle of sticks. This fits with the previous chapter. Paul is useful Paul gets up and works. He doesn't sit by the fire and say, somebody else go out in the rain and get some sticks, please. Paul goes out in the rain. Paul gets sticks. Definitely stuck with me in the seminary classroom when our professor, Dr. Piper, said just in passing, men, I watch you at potlucks every time I'm at a church event with you. I see whether you are serving or whether you're waiting to be served, whether you're setting up tables or whether you're letting others set up tables. And yeah, he told us that he shamelessly profiled our ability to be pastors based on whether we were serving or waiting to be served. Paul is not waiting to be served. Paul is getting up and serving. Paul gathers this bundle of sticks, brings it back to the fire, and the viper jumps out and fastens on his hand. The apostle's example is key. Because Not just because it's a good example, it is a good example, but it's more than that. It shows us Christ, who is revealed in Paul. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. Paul acts like Christ in going out and gathering firewood. He also acts like Christ in his victory over the snake, which he consigns to the flames of hellfire. He shakes it off, throws it into the flames. The kingdom is revealed. The power of Christ over the serpent is shown in this action. And like the Lystrans, who naively back in chapter 13 said, or chapter 14 said, there's divine power here. Paul must be 
Hermes. Barnabas must be Zeus. So the Maltese say there's divine power here. They think of it at first, of course, as negatively disposed towards Paul. Justice has not suffered him to live. And then they changed their minds and said that he was a god. They were wrong to think that he was a god, but they weren't wrong to sense the supernatural at work. Why did Paul have victory over the serpent? It wasn't because, oh, it was a harmless snake. The natives just didn't know that. That's what rationalizing commentators have said. No, Paul had victory over the serpent because he was there as the emissary of Christ, bringing the kingdom which rules over and conquers the serpent, drives back the kingdom of darkness. Paul does that, consigning the snake to hellfire. Paul has power over vipers because Christ has power over Satan. The Maltese see this and they say, something is at work here. There is some kind of divine transcendent power happening here. They didn't know what it was. We can presume, of course, that Paul went ahead and explained to them what it was. Luke is clearly setting up the end of the chapter with its promise that the Gentiles will listen. Verse 28, Let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will hear it. Here are these Maltese barbarians who are ready to hear it. Are ready to understand the incident with the snake as the coming of the kingdom of God to their island. Well, the gospel produces hospitality. Luke has shown that over and over, like the Philippian jailer. He's converted, and then the first thing he does is invite Paul and Silas into his home at one o'clock in the morning to baptize him and eat with him. So these Maltese quickly show the fruits of conversion. In that region, there was an estate of the leading man of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. Publius shows them hospitality immediately, takes them in for these three days. Luke is asking us the question, how hospitable are you? Us, it's not clear, of course. Does Luke mean that he invited all 276 to his home? Does he mean Paul and his companions, uh, Luke and Aristarchus. Uh, He doesn't say exactly who the us is. Clearly, this man is hospitable. Are, Are you somewhat hospitable? Very hospitable? Not hospitable? Acts is clear that hospitality is something you do when you've been converted. When you hear the gospel, you share what you have. Well, Christ doesn't just reign over sickness, over the sea, over the weather, over the storm. Christ reigns over fever and dysentery. The father of Publius lay sick. Apparently, this is the notorious Malta fever, attacks of which generally last from four months to three years. We've all heard of the 24-hour flu. Well, this is the the four-month flu, minimum. Or it could be the you'll be out of commission for years flu. Traced to a bacterium in goat's milk, apparently. Well, Publius' father is sick. Paul goes in, prays, lays his hands on him, and heals him. This is the only mention in Acts of laying on of hands for healing. Uh, I don't know exactly why Luke mentions that, but he does. 
He's certainly pointing to the reign of Christ over sickness. If Christ can conquer sickness, he can conquer the cause of sickness, which is sin. The kingdom is coming to Malta. When this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. The kingdom is coming to Malta, healing everyone in sight. The Maltese honored us in many ways, Luke says. And the word could be translated honor, or it could be translated honorarium. They gave us financial goods, which is certainly what Luke says. They gave us whatever we needed. It's a pretty strong testimony to these Maltese that they just handed over whatever was necessary. Luke doesn't say how much that was. How much it was, in one sense, is not important. Clearly, the evangelist is telling us Paul's work on the island was effective in taking the already philanthropic Maltese and making them generous and hospitable kingdom citizens. They started philanthropic, but they came out willing to just walk up to Paul and give him everything he needs for the rest of his trip. And maybe not just him, maybe all 276 from this wrecked grain ship. Well, has the gospel had that effect on you? Are you generous? I was just reading about this this afternoon, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That word translated mercy in the Septuagint also often refers to almsgiving. God says, yes, I want you to give to me, but I also want you to give to the poor around you. Do you give to the poor? If so, how? Right? Giving to the poor is not optional for Christians. Giving to the poor is something that true children of God do. In Exhibit A is Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was writ, yet for our sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might become rich. The message is clear. If you've been touched by Jesus, you will live like Jesus and you will be a philanthropist. You will give away what you can to help those who have less. Certainly that is what the Maltese did. They gave whatever was needed. So after three months on the island, they sailed in another ship from Alexandria, which had wintered there, and landing in Syracuse, which is on Sicily. They stayed three days, so they're not in a big hurry. From there, they circled around to Regium, and after one day, they came to Puteoli, where they found brethren. The south wind blew that, of course, in the previous chapter was what happened just before the massive disaster and the two-week storm. Luke mentions it again to say, God healed the weather. And the south wind blew softly, and this time it wasn't a fake. So they find Christians. They have easy voyaging. Christ keeps his promises. Of course he does. He said Paul would get to Rome. He gets to Rome. But in another sense... It's a huge deal because that means we can trust him. He's kept his promise despite everything. All the different threats, starting way back in chapter 19 with Paul's realization that if he takes the Jewish cruise boat back to Jerusalem, some terrible accident will happen to him and he'll find himself at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea and him canceling his reservations on the cruise boat all the way through the storm and everything else that happens in these final ten chapters of Acts. 
Christ keeps his promise. So, and he gets to Rome and he finds, as he did in Malta, wow, not everyone is hostile. Not everyone wants to kill me. Not everyone wants to put me in jail or try to suck a bribe out of me. The brethren heard about us and they came to meet us as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns, or the New King James's more modest translation, the three inns. Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. These people loved Paul. It's 40 miles from Rome down to this further one. I think that's the three taverns. They walked those 40 miles out from the city to meet Paul. Somebody who had never been to Rome before. So even if they had known him somewhere else, this is how much these people love Paul. Do you love anybody enough to walk to right to say hello and welcome them to our city? That is what these brothers and sisters did as they came all the way down to welcome Paul on his way. This is the kind of bond that Luke regards as normal. This is what Christians do. This is how we welcome Paul. We walk out to the three taverns and we say, welcome. And Paul thanked God and took courage. As I mentioned, that should be the characteristic of our church. A place where when people come, they can say, thank God, there's still some followers of Christ in this world. And they can take courage. Well, he gets to Rome. The centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain and the guard, but Paul is permitted to live by himself in his own rented accommodations. So probably he found lodging in one of the giant apartment buildings all over the city of Rome, the tenement houses. He would have had likely a one-room apartment, but he would have had access to the atrium of the building, which could be used for large group gatherings. So that was included in the rent. Paul could go down there and speak to large groups of people at a time here in his rented lodging under house arrest. Nonetheless, he has a soldier who guards him. Uh, This soldier seems to have been one of the Praetorian guards, Caesar's personal security force. And this duty, we think, rotated through the guard. It wasn't that there was one soldier who lived with Paul week after week. It was that a different soldier each day was sent out, handcuffed to Paul by one wrist, and just sat with him all day long. Somebody like Paul, of course, this is like candy. Wow, a new soldier who's a captive audience for eight hours a day. Paul actually describes what this was like in Philippians 1, if you turn over there. Philippians takes place pretty much right after we get to the end of Acts. So here's what... Paul says about that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, or the praetorians, and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's arrival in Rome turbocharged the evangelism of the Roman church. And it also spread through all of Caesar's household because he had a soldier sitting there with him eight hours a day, a different soldier every day. So in a year, he's talking to 365 different soldiers 
taking them to church events, preaching to them. You know, can you imagine Paul standing up front or sitting up front like a rabbi preaching and sitting next to him is a Roman soldier who has to listen to the sermon. Well, this is what Paul did and the Roman Christians said, he really is a prisoner of Jesus. This guy is not a low-life criminal. He is a servant of God who's in chains for the gospel. And it made the Roman Christians much more willing to say, you know what? If I get in trouble for preaching the word, I'll end up like Paul, whose life is not that bad, honestly. They were much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the kingdom has come to Malta, and it's transformed the Maltese to be philanthropic, hospitable, and generous. The kingdom has come to Rome, and it spreads through Caesar's guard, it spreads through the city, that Paul is there, and the Roman Christians say, I guess I can evangelize. I guess I can tell people about Jesus. This isn't as scary as I thought. So, what do these events show? They show that the kingdom is real. The kingdom is certain. The things we have been taught are genuine. That's, Paul's, that's Luke's message through both volumes of his work. Christ's power spreads. His reign takes in more and more people. It drives back the serpent. It drives back sickness. It bends people to his will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your kingdom came to Malta. That it consigned the serpent to the fire, healed the sickness, made the people there generous, and ready to give, and hospitable. Father, we thank you that your kingdom came to Rome, and that it spread through the Praetorians, that it made the people of God there much more bold to speak the word without fear. Help us, Lord, to see the coming of your kingdom, to look for it, and to love it. We pray that you would drive back sickness in our world, we ask that you would stop cancer and the other sicknesses and diseases, that you would finish crushing the kingdom of darkness, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.